listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today's going to be a good... um interactive broadcast too because I want to hear from you. We're going to take some questions. We're going to talk a little bit further on this subject and as I said, I'm going to rant on uh, this subject of speaking in tongues and some other things about the Holy Spirit. Very important and um, listen, I mean in the day that we're living in, the day and age we're living in, the Holy Spirit and his baptism could not be any more important than they are. They could not be any more important than they are. And uh, people are treating Holy Spirit baptism like it's unimportant for the believer. They're treating it literally like it's just some optional. uh, The way I've said it for a long time now is it's a side dish that's supposed to accompany the entree of salvation. But understand something with me. Uh, The Holy Spirit and his baptism are just as much the main course as salvation is. It's an actual extension of salvation. There's my friend Kofi. I love you so much. And his wife is on. Good to see you, Chichi. It's an extension. The Holy Ghost and his baptism are a natural extension of salvation. So much so that Jesus Christ himself let his disciples and followers know that he was not even finished until he ascended into heaven and sent them the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There's my friend, Pastor Brian Wright. Love you. Stephanie, good to have you on this morning. It is is an actual extension of salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now, trust me when I tell you, I'm not one of those that says you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. I don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, It's it's not doctrinal. It's not scriptural. There are denominations that believe you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. I don't believe that. I'm not teaching that today. But what I'm telling you is the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, it is a natural extension of salvation. It was the desire of Jesus for every one of his followers. Yesterday, good morning, Zach, love you. Andrew, good to see you. Uh, Yesterday when we covered this, this subject, I started to talk about how every time in the book of Acts that people were gathered uh, to receive the Holy Spirit, all of them were filled on the day of Pentecost, 120, all of them got it. Not just a portion of them, all of them. In Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, all of the believers that Peter and John laid their hands on received the Holy Spirit, not some of them, all of them. In Acts chapter 10, it at Cornelius' house, as Peter's preaching, they all were filled with the Holy Ghost, not some of them, all of them. In Acts 19, the 12 men Paul's ministering to in Ephesus, not some of them got it, all 12 of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. Every passage that we see in the scripture 
is all of those present that are there to receive, receive. God doesn't pick and choose who he fills and baptizes with his spirit. And it is a subsequent experience. You know, for all these people that jump on and say, well, you know, brother, that just happens at the time of salvation. No, it doesn't. It can, but it's a subsequent experience. You've got to be saved in order to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. You have to be. They're not one and the same thing. They're not one and the same thing. I like how some have put it. Um, at salvation, the Holy Spirit becomes resident, but at the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he becomes president. At salvation, he becomes resident. At the baptism, he, he becomes president. And so what happens? You receive power. Good morning, Kelly. You receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It, it shows you, uh, you know, Acts chapter eight, we covered it yesterday in Samaria. They were all Christians. They were all saved. The Bible says they were saved. They were converted after hearing Philip preach, but none of them, the Bible says, had had the Holy Spirit come upon them yet. So they sent for Peter and John. And when Peter and John showed up, they started laying hands on those believers and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. So much so that just like every other passage in scripture, there was an outward expression of an inward work. How do I know there was? Even though the Bible doesn't tell us in Acts 8 they spoke in tongues, something happened that was an outward expression of an inward work because Simon, who was previously the sorcerer, saw them being filled with the Holy Ghost. How do you see someone get filled with the Holy Spirit if it's an internal work? How do you see that unless there's an outward evidence of what happened on the inside of you. And so I want you to understand it. It's not the same as salvation. It is a subsequent experience. It takes place. And here's why it has to take place after salvation. Jesus himself explained it this way. He said, I cannot put new wine into old wine skins or they would burst. And that's understandable. Bodies that are unregenerated, bodies that are no longer new creatures in Christ Jesus, carnal bodies, could not hold the power of the Holy Ghost. Let me give you an example. I was uh, traveling overseas um, for my cousin's wedding, and um, when I was there, I had bought a bunch of adapters for the, for the outlets, you know, in the walls. When you go to Europe, obviously, if you've been there, the power adapters, the, the outlets are much different than we have here in the States and the voltage is different. So I went to like, you know, like a Brookstone or somewhere and I bought all of these. It was like an all in one for any country in the world adapter so that I could plug my phone or any devices I had into the wall uh, when I was in Europe. And I had just bought on Amazon.com um, a, a handheld steamer for my suits and clothes to steam the wrinkles out. And, um, I had not used it yet. And so when I got into Europe, I, I filled it with water. I was getting ready to do a suit or a shirt. And I, I put the adapter in the wall so that my American plug would fit. I put the adapter in and then I plugged in my steamer 
and uh, it started heating up and then all of a sudden it was like blowing steam like you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it was like it was insane i mean it looked like a dragon it was blowing steam like so hardcore i'm thinking to myself man this thing is a serious hand steamer it was, it was only like this big it was blowing steam like a steam engine i was like my god this thing is powerful and then a few seconds later it starts blowing fire <laughs> it went from blowing steam to blowing fire and i couldn't understand what was going on and all of a sudden the power from the wall actually destroyed my brand new steamer and the thing i'd like run and unplug it fires coming out of it i was like what in the world is going on and then i realized what had happened i had purchased adapters but they were not adapters with converters and so they would plug into the wall but they didn't convert the voltage in Europe into voltage that we expect to receive in the United States, which is a lesser voltage. And so what was happening is it was just giving me a place to plug in my device, but not changing the voltage. So even though the power was provided in that hotel room to be used functionally, because I didn't have a converter, I could not make use of the power. And it actually went into my device and destroyed my device. This is what Jesus was saying. If I were to just put heaven's power inside of an unregenerated body, there's no converter. You would just be destroyed. That's why he said the wineskins would burst if I just put new wine into old wineskins. And so what Jesus was letting us know is that something has to take place between you receiving the Holy Spirit, and it has to be your salvation, your salvation, your regeneration by the Spirit into a new creation is the converter that allows you to now take Holy Spirit power from heaven and not it won't destroy you now, it will become functional now, so now you can use it. If I'd have had a converter with my adapter, then that steamer would have worked perfectly with no issue. The power would have been harnessed and the function would have been carried out. But because I didn't have the converter, it was just destroyed. And salvation is the, uh, the, the converter, if you will, for the human it takes a body that used to be carnal, an individual that used to be controlled by sin, and the Bible says you're recreated by God into a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now that I'm a new creation, a new wineskin, I can hold new wine without bursting. Amen. And I want you to actually put that in the comments, those that are watching. I can hold new wine without bursting. I want you to pop that in the comments. Very, very important. I can hold new wine without bursting. That's vital to understand. I can hold new wine without bursting. And so we can receive the power of the Holy Ghost in baptism, but it's a subsequent experience. It's not the same as salvation. And then, which, uh, you know, is something that kind of got me going. I got another message re regarding this. And I was in, uh, in, in YouTube, just kind of looking at some of these comments and we had someone get on there who is apparently not a theologian, but is 
according to them, I, I mean, I don't know who they are, but they're a linguist, not a theologian, but a linguist. So we've got a linguist that got on and is trying to debunk the thought of speaking in tongues as a heavenly language. Basically, uh, his contention was um, that it's just gibberish. It's a bunch of gibberish that is that is fake. Uh, it's not what the Bible was talking about in the New Testament when it's talking about speaking in tongues. It is not something that we should be seeing today. It's merely man-made gibberish that people are engaging in, not, uh, not, not only not a language, not a heavenly language. And his contention is, and, and other people feel this way as well. I'm not, I'm not trying to make it out as, as to be that he's the only person that's ever said these things. It's, it's something that people do say. Uh, but the, the, the contention here is this, that when you hear the phrase praying in the spirit in the Bible, whether it be in Corinthians, Ephesians, or Jude, praying in the spirit, it doesn't mean speaking in tongues or some heavenly language that's really gibberish. That's not what the writer meant. It's not what Paul meant. It's not what Jude meant. It's just really uh, all it means in the Bible is praying by the power of the spirit. That's his contention, the linguist. It doesn't mean speaking in tongues. It just means praying in the power of the spirit. But you've got to understand something that when you study scripture, there's a very important point that many people leave out. It's called context. You've got to study the Bible in context. The Bible explains itself. By the way, if, if, if he's watching or anybody that believes that way is watching, the Bible explains itself. You have to be able to interpret scripture with scripture, not by human experiences, not by something you saw on a YouTube video. Say, well, I saw somebody speaking in tongues one time and it sounded like gibberish to me. That's not our standard of Christian interpretation. To hear somebody that you didn't agree with what their tongue sounded like, well, that doesn't sound like a language, sounds like gibberish. That's not our standard. There's a subject you have to take in Bible school that's called hermeneutics. It's the proper interpretation of Scripture. The proper interpretation of Scripture. Context is important. You can only go by what the Word of God says You cannot go by what it does not say or what you heard someone else say or what you saw in some uh, video one time. And so, you know, to get on and say, well, you know, it's not really a language uh, as far as like, it's not the gibberish we speak today. It, It was just all it meant was that the Holy Spirit empowers you to pray according to his will or in his power. Well, I agree that speaking in tongues is praying the perfect will of the Father, no issue there, but it is a heavenly language. And I'm going to show you here from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 what we're talking about and why we know that it is a heavenly language, not, by the way. So so let me just, let me say this, just to kind of set you up so you understand where we're headed. There are people who believe that when the ability to speak in tongues came in the New Testament setting that it was God giving believers the ability to speak foreign languages for the purpose of evangelism, okay? So this is what they believe, 
that when, quote unquote, speaking in tongues came on the day of Pentecost, because devout Jews from every nation heard them speaking in their known language, all that was happening was that those believers were speaking in foreign languages so that they could evangelize those people. However, that's not the case. And I'm going to tell you why it's not the case. Number one, Acts chapter two is not didactic teaching as it's called in theology. It's not someone teaching you about a subject. It's what's called narrative. Acts chapter two is telling you the story of what happened on the day of Pentecost. It is not teaching about tongues. Paul later gives didactic teaching about tongues in first Corinthians chapter 14. So when you understand context, you don't go to a narrative story and try to pull a doctrinal belief out of a narrative story, although you can have narrative that teaches doctrine, for example, the virgin birth. We have the story of what happened with Mary and Joseph, and we know that the Bible tells us in a narrative story sense that she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and then gave birth to Jesus. Well, there's no one that teaches in the Bible on the virgin birth. No apostle teaches on it. Peter, Paul, Jude, no, nobody teaches on the virgin birth. However, the Bible tells us that it took place, and so we can build the doctrine of the virgin birth around the narratives of Scripture. Even if all we had was the narrative of speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2, we would know that it's God's will for his people to speak in tongues. However, the Holy Spirit thought it was important enough that the church understand what tongues is, that he had the apostle Paul write about it to the Corinthian church as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, knowing that in 2020, we would still have the scriptures today and be able to know what speaking in tongues is. And so Paul tells them in his didactic teaching on speaking in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, he breaks down what it is, what it is. Now, one of the things I want you to see that Paul taught, now to address the, to address the thought process that number one, um, praying in the spirit doesn't mean tongues. That was, that's what was said to me in this comment, praying in tongues, or excuse me, praying in the spirit does not refer to speaking in tongues. That's what was said. Um, when you hear, and I'll read it to you verbatim just so that I'm not botching, uh, the, the, uh, quotation of the, of the commenter. Here's, here's the quotation quote unquote, praying in the spirit does not refer to the words one is saying, rather it refers to how one is praying in the three places it's used Corinthians, Ephesians, and Jude. There is absolutely zero reference. Catch this. There is zero reference to languages in connection with this phrase. Okay. Well, if you believe that, then you've got to throw all context out of the window. Because look what Paul says um, in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, and 15. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, and 15. Let me read it to you. Paul writes this. For if I pray in a tongue, 
my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Verse 15. So what am I to do? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Let me go on further. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? It is connected with what one is saying or the words one is speaking. How do you not see that in context? You, you, you have to understand what Paul's saying in context. If I pray in tongues, reference to the language, the heavenly language, then uh, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I mean, you can't get any plain, more plain than that. It's, it can't be any clearer than that in scripture. In fact, I would go as far as to say this, and I told the commenter this, that any other reading of this text is eisegesis. If you don't know what eisegesis versus exegesis is, eisegesis is when you read your own opinions into scripture and push your presuppositions and your opinions onto scripture and make it say what you want it to say. And that's what he's doing with this passage. And it's what many people are doing with the subject of speaking in tongues. Well, it's not really, uh, it's not really, uh, you know, about what you say as a language. Well, it is about it because Paul said, if I pray in a tongue, he's talking about what he says. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, which shows you he's not speaking in a natural known language that he's learned. He says, my mind is unfruitful. Now to the question of, well, maybe the Holy Spirit is just empowering him to speak a foreign language that his mind doesn't know. That's also not the case. Go to the top of the chapter. When Paul begins, of course, there were no chapters and verses when Paul wrote the letter, but they were added later to help us to find passages of scripture more quickly. But look at uh, this portion of his letter. We call it verse two. Look what he says. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Do you see that? He couldn't be any more plain with what he's saying here. He could, that's why the Holy Spirit inspired him to teach this subject. It needed to be taught. He said, a person who speaks in a tongue, and he's talking about a heavenly language, not just any tongue. In context, he's talking about tongues and prophecy. He says, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not unto men. Stop there and recognize something. Speaking in tongues is not a natural language that's to be spoken unto men. It is you, according to the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul, it is you speaking unto God. Look at this. For no one understands him. Not, listen, not, it doesn't say no one in the room understands him. It says no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay. Let me just say something. Mandarin is not mysteries in the spirit. Russian is not mysteries in the spirit. <laughs> you know, Portuguese is not mysteries in the spirit. This is a heavenly language that according to the Holy Spirit 
Paul being inspired and writing, the Holy Spirit tells us when you speak in this heavenly language of tongues, you're not ever speaking unto men, but unto God. Um, yet there's nothing wrong. Mackenzie's asking a question on Facebook for those that are listening, or maybe you're watching on YouTube Periscope or listening on the podcast. Mackenzie's asking, is it incorrect when people pray over others in tongues, like laying hands on them and then speaking in tongues? No, it's not wrong. It is not wrong. Uh, in fact, uh, the Bible tells us uh, in the book, what is in the book of Romans, that the spirit helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray. In fact, one of the benefits of speaking in tongues is that you can be led by the spirit in prayer to pray for things that you don't know how to pray for in the natural. But the Holy Spirit knows, and as he inspires your prayer in that heavenly language, you can pray for things that you had no idea to pray for. And so, no, I wouldn't say it's wrong. Great question. I would not say that it's wrong. It's it's something that that is... There's nothing against it in the word. It's something we should be doing. I think that it's something that you can absolutely do, and I do it. You don't know everything about the person you're praying for. And so uh, to pray in the spirit over that person is helpful. Now, Paul says here that uh, one who speaks in tongues speaks not unto men, but unto God. Now, let's stop here because I want to go back over this point because it's very, very important important. Tyler makes a great point on YouTube. He said, why would you need to pray for interpretation if it was a natural language? But let's go back and think about this for a minute, because even for those that are Baptist or Presbyterian cessationists who believe that speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost was believers speaking foreign languages so that devout Jews could understand what they were saying so they could be evangelized and then converted. Let's think about this in the context of all of scripture because in once again acts 2 is narrative not didactic teaching so in all of new testament scripture i mean keep this in mind in all of the witness of new testament scripture there is no teaching not a little bit of teaching there is no teaching that speaking in tongues is the power of God giving you the ability to speak a foreign language for the purpose of evangelism. There is no teaching on that. In fact, it is not how the apostles or the believers or anybody that you see in the New Testament understood tongues. They did not expect to just go to foreign lands and speak in tongues to preach the gospel to those in that language. Not, there's no teaching on that. They didn't believe that themselves. It's not in the Bible. That, again, is pure eisegesis. People reading their interpretation into Scripture, people reading their own personal beliefs and presuppositions into the text. You can't do that. You have to read what the Bible says and let the Bible interpret itself. That's proper hermeneutical study. You've got to let the Bible interpret itself. So understand this. Uh, when you read and understand speaking in tongues. I'm still on this point of natural languages versus a heavenly language. If you go back to the Acts 2 passage, you start to see something very interesting. <clears throat> As the 120 are speaking in tongues in the upper room, the Bible says 
all, let's go there because I want to read it to you in case people don't know exactly what I'm talking about, because it's important to read it exactly as the Bible says it. Um, Acts two, five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, what sound? The sound of them speaking in tongues. The multitude came together and they were bewildered. Now, catch this. Because each one was hearing them. That's the crowd. Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, catch this. Think about it. You've got Jews from every nation under heaven, the Bible says, who knows how many languages were represented among those Jews. However, the Bible says, it doesn't say each one of them heard one of the believers speaking his language. It says each one heard them, meaning as a group, that person heard the whole group speaking his language. And then you go to the next guy. That guy heard the whole group speaking in his language. Then go to the next guy. He heard the whole group speaking in his language. So let's just put it into languages of today. The first guy heard all 120 speak in Mandarin. The second guy heard all 120 speak in Russian. The third guy heard all 120 speak in Portuguese. The fourth guy heard all 120 speak in Spanish. They each heard them all speaking in their language. That's what the Bible says. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? That's verse eight. Now let's go down for verse 13, because here's another weird thing. I mean, if that's what you really believe, that you believe that somehow, uh, you know, they were speaking foreign languages, go down to verse 13 and explain this one. But others mocking said, oh, they're just filled with new wine. One translation says, oh, they're just drunk. They're just drunk. Okay, how dumb of an argument is that? That, oh, these guys just got drunk and started speaking Mandarin. I don't know if you understand how being drunk works, but it does not give you the ability to speak foreign languages you've never learned. I mean, how dumb of an argument is that? Well, you know, they were speaking foreign languages there. Why would people point at them and call them drunk then? If it was a supernatural miracle and everyone's saying, my goodness, these are Galileans and they're speaking in our foreign language. Oh, they're just drunk. What kind of a stupid argument is that? Being drunk has never and will never give you some ability to speak a language you've never learned. So why would they say that? Something else was happening. Something else was happening. Could it have been that those who were mocking did not hear a foreign language, but heard the heavenly language of speaking in tongues and thought it was gibberish and thought they were drunk? Could that be the case here? I'm asking the question. Could that be the case? Because we've got all these devout Jews that are hearing their own language. But then you've got these others in verse 13 who are mocking the believers and saying they're just drunk. Why, if they were hearing all these languages, would they attribute that to drunkenness? That's stupid. 
what they probably heard. And of course, I'm not being I'm not being uh, dogmatic about this because the Bible doesn't clearly say. But what if what they heard that caused them to attribute it to drunkenness was the heavenly language that sounded to them like gibberish? Because there's no other reason to say they're drunk. They weren't drunk. They were empowered by the Holy Ghost. So take what Paul is teaching the Corinthians about speaking in tongues. You know, if you have narrative and then you actually have didactic teaching, you've got to let the didactic teaching override what you may have uh, presupposed from a narrative because it's the Holy Spirit breaking the subject down so that you properly understand it. And that's what's happening with Paul and the Corinthians. He's actually breaking it down so that they understand it. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14 now and look at the Pentecost experience of Acts 2 in light of what's happening in 1 Corinthians 14. If we know, and you can plainly see it, I mean, Paul's not being cryptic. I mean, you can read Paul's letters, first of all, Remember that the Corinthian church was the most immature church in all of the New Testament. They had so many things going going wrong, going on. Paul had to be like, come on, get it together. I mean, and he says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I would love to give you the heavier stuff, but all you can take is the milk of the word because you're not ready. You're still babies. You're babies, and I have to keep giving you milk. When are we going to move on to the meat of the word? So he knows Paul knows that they're the most immature church he's had to deal with. And so he's not trying to be cryptic with them. He's plainly speaking to them. You know, it's like when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he plainly spoke to them. Hey, you guys have someone in your assembly that's having sex with his stepmother. Tell him to stop doing that. It's like you can't get any more plain than that. If he won't stop having sex with his stepmother, throw him out of the church and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his soul. I mean, Paul had to write this kind of stuff to the Corinthians because they were so immature and carnal. He's not being cryptic. He's being plain. He's being plain. And look what he said. One who's, this is verse two again, one who speaks in tongues speaks not unto men, but unto God. So go back now. Is the Holy Spirit contradicting himself? No. So let me ask you a question. <clears throat> on Acts, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, according to what the Holy Spirit taught about speaking in tongues, were the 120 believers speaking to the Jews or were they speaking unto God? That's the question you need to answer right now. Were the 120, the, the, the believers, were they speaking to the Jews or were they speaking unto God? Somebody answered in the comments. Were they speaking to the Jews or were they speaking unto God? This, by the way, is a very important point about speaking in tongues. Answer it in the, in the comments, those that are watching. On the day of Pentecost, were the 120 speaking to the Jews that gathered, or were they speaking to God? I'll answer it before anybody comments. They were speaking unto God. It's what Paul taught speaking in tongues is. He speaks not unto men. 
tongues is not a language to speak unto men. And the way that we know that is because Paul in his teaching in 1 Corinthians 14 tells them, excuse me, that if you're in a public church service, don't have a ton of people jumping up, giving words in tongues without an interpretation, because all you're doing is bringing chaos into that assembly I'm not talking, now listen to me, I'm not talking about if everybody is joining hands and the pastor says those, if we're filled with the spirit, let's all begin to pray in our, in the spirit. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody jumping up and giving a word in tongues. Maybe you've seen that happen in a service, jumping up, giving a word in tongues and no interpretation being given. Paul said it's bringing disorder and chaos into God's presence. And that's not what he's about. So if you don't have the interpretation, remain silent. So the reason he's teaching that is because tongues is not a language to speak unto men. It's unto God. It's unto God. And on the day of Pentecost, they weren't speaking to the Jews. They were speaking unto God, but the Jews heard them speaking in their own languages. That's the miracle if, in case you don't see it. That right there is the miracle that on the day of Pentecost, God was the one who did the interpretation for the Jews. God was the one. Nobody stood up in the assembly and gave the interpretation of all the tongues so that the Jews could know what was being said. God himself, it's the only thing that could have happened. The only thing that could have happened. Otherwise, you are calling Paul's teaching about the Holy Spirit a lie. Meaning you're saying that the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to write was lying to us when he said that the one who speaks in tongues does not speak unto men, but unto God for he, no one understands him. No one understands him. No one understands him. No one understands him. The Holy Spirit said that the Holy Spirit said, no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So either we have to say that the Holy Spirit's lying through the Apostle Paul about what speaking in tongues is, or as someone who's hermeneutically responsible would do, you'd look at the whole council of scripture under this understanding of what's being taught here didactically, that tongues is a supernatural language that is not spoken unto men, but unto God, and no one understands him. So take that definition, move it back to Acts chapter 2, and realize what was happening. They were being filled with the Holy Ghost, and they were doing exactly what Paul taught speaking in tongues is. They were speaking not unto men, but unto God. No one understands them, so... If no man can understand tongues, someone had to be doing the interpretation for the devout Jews. Who else could have done it but the Lord? Who else? That's it. There's no, no one's, the Bible does not tell us anyone stood up in the assembly. The the Jews just heard all of them speaking, each in his own language. You see, and so it's a heavenly language. He utters mysteries in the spirit. Go further. Now, let me me get to this. If you didn't get a chance to share this, share it because it's very important. Listen to this. Verse four is another clue. The one who speaks in a tongue 
builds up himself or edifies himself, one translation says. On the one who prophesies builds up the whole church. Now look, how is it possible to speak a foreign language and it spiritually edify you? Especially if you don't know what you're saying. That's, that's not how foreign languages work. I can't just start speaking Mandarin and then, oh my goodness, my spirit's being edified. No, it doesn't work like that. Mandarin doesn't have the ability to edify you individually, especially when you don't understand what you're saying. You can't gain faith that way. Faith comes by hearing and understanding what you hear. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Mark chapter four, you read the parable of the sower. People who hear the word and don't understand it are the ones who the devil comes immediately and snatches it away from them so they can't receive the revelation. So even if I was speaking the word of God in Mandarin, it wouldn't build my spirit up because I have no understanding of what's being said which is just another proof that it's a heavenly language that has the ability to edify my spirit. Of course, the Bible says in the book of Jude, verse 20, it said, but ye beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Once again, that reference to praying in the spirit, to praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Ghost. Same as Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 14, I will pray with my spirit and I will pray with my understanding or with my mind also. He said, I'll do both. Now go go down further because Paul Paul says here, this is very important to look at. He starts to kind of rebuke them for having uh, too much disorderly conduct in the services. And he begins to talk to them about the fact that It's not wrong to speak in tongues. He said, I want you. Go to verse five. He said, I want all of you to speak in tongues. All of you. Paul, listen, Paul's not taking verse four, chapter 14 of, of, of first Corinthians to try to, uh, you know, downplay the importance of speaking in tongues. He's not doing it to even correct them. You shouldn't be speaking in tongues like that. That's not what he's doing. He says plainly, I want all of you to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy in context of the uh, church assembly. Notice this. It's in context of the church assembly. He said, because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the whole church may be built up. When we come together as an assembly, we don't come together so one person can get something or two people can be edified. We come together as a body of believers so that we can all be edified, so that we can all be stirred up. And Paul said, the desire of God is that everyone be edified, everybody be stirred up. And so it's more appropriate in those settings that either you prophesy to the whole assembly in their known language, or if you do give a word in tongues, then pray that you may interpret it in the known language so the whole body of believers can be built up. It's what he's teaching. I mean, it couldn't be any more plain than what he's saying. He's writing it as he means it. Writing it as he means it. So look look at how he's saying. He's trying to talk about orderly worship services. So, so what, what, what then, brothers? Verse 26. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. But let all things be done for building up. Why? We all need to be built up. 
Verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to him to himself and to God. So understand what's saying here. He's talking about giving a word in tongues. If you've ever been in a service, those that are watching, if you've ever been in a service where um, a word in tongues has been given, put, put an emoji hand in the comments. If you've ever been in a church service where a word in tongues and interpretation has been given, I just want to see if people understand what I'm talking about. If you know, you, you know what I'm referring to, because I don't want to be speaking about stuff people don't, don't know what I'm saying. If you've been in a service like that, let me know that you have where the gifts of the spirit <clears throat> were in operation and someone stood up in the service and gave a word in tongues and then someone interpreted what was said. There's a lot of people throwing hands up. So you, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of people are saying me, I've been there. I've, I've seen that. So this, what, what you saw, what you experienced in church is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a word given in tongues to the whole assembly. Now, let me just say what he's not talking about, what he's not talking about is believers just praying in their heavenly prayer language. That's not what he's referring to. He's not saying that if anybody speaks in tongues in a church service, Immediately, there needs to be an interpretation. He's saying if someone gives that and gives a word to the congregation in tongues, there's a, let me tell you, there's a massive difference between a believer in his seat praying in the spirit during the worship service and someone standing up during the, in front of the whole assembly and speaking out a word to the assembly in tongues, massive difference between those two. Yes, Mackenzie. Okay, understand this in context. That's why there has to be an interpretation, Mackenzie. That, that's the whole purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, tongues and interpretation of tongues. If you didn't have the interpretation, then it would just be a mystery unto God. That's why Paul tells them not to do it. Because if there is only the tongues half, with no interpretation, it's worthless, Paul's saying. No one's being built up except the speaker who's being edified. And, there, and at that point, save it for yourself. Don't interrupt a church service to give a word in tongues if there's no interpretation or else it's unfruitful. And that's not what God's about. He doesn't want it to be unfruitful. He wants the church to be built up and edified. So that's why Paul said here at the end of the chapter, if you do give a word in tongues, let him interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let them stay silent. Hold that tongue. Hold that. Because we don't want disorderly worship. We want everything to be done decently and in order. However, that doesn't mean forbid speaking in tongues as some cowardly pastors have done. Cowardly. And I couldn't be any stronger on that. Cowardly pastors have uh, been forbidding speaking in tongues. Supposed full gospel Pentecostal pastors have forbidden speaking in tongues in their church services. That's not what Paul was doing. 
He said, by faith, Mackenzie, you have to believe and trust that somebody uh, will have the interpretation of what's being said. And let me say, I have never been in a service in my life when somebody gave a word in tongues and there was no interpretation. No, every, so Mackenzie, everyone has the gift. There's no spirit-filled believer that does not have the gift because every spirit-filled believer is filled with the giver of the gifts. So if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are a candidate to operate in any of the nine gifts of the spirit, any of them. You don't have to have that gift. If you have the Holy Ghost, you can operate in the gifts of the spirit because you have the giver of the gifts. So if you've got spirit-filled people in the congregation, any of them can be used by the Holy Spirit to interpret what is being given because the same Holy Spirit that resides in the one who gave the word in tongues is the same Holy Spirit residing in the one who can give the interpretation. Same spirit. It's the same spirit. And so what we're dealing with here in 1 Corinthians is a church that was so immature that they had an abundance of spiritual gifts, Paul said, and they were using them in a disorderly fashion, and it was causing their services to be unfruitful. People weren't being built up, and it was and it was a problem, so Paul had to correct it. But he was not correcting speaking in tongues. Catch that. He was not forbidding speaking in tongues. Not at all. The Bible tells us do not forbid speaking in tongues. Uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, don't despise prophesyings. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Let him flow. Let him move. He's not going to destroy the church. The Holy Spirit will not destroy the church. He is the comforter. He's the guide. He's the one who draws men to Jesus. He is the one who builds up the church. People are afraid of the Holy Spirit for I don't know what reason. Well, you know, brother, we don't allow speaking in tongues in our church because, you know, we've got visitors coming and, you know, those visitors think it's a little weird and creepy that people are speaking in that language. Good. They should think it's different. They should think it's out of the ordinary. It should be looked at as not natural because it's not. It's supernatural. Then let me read to you what Paul says about those visitors. Listen to this. The Bible says in verse 22, thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. Tongues is a sign for unbelievers. So understand Paul's plainly teaching from the Holy Ghost. Tongues are for unbelievers. It's a sign unto them. Don't forbid them in church. Let the Holy Spirit move. Don't quench the Spirit. Let him move. Don't despise prophesyings. Let them flow. Let them flow. Paul said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. (laughs) I mean, catch that. I pray in tongues more than all of you. Let me, let me read that to you in context here. <clears throat> the 14th, the 14th uh, chapter. Yeah, look at Cody. I mean, that, that people are like that. People that say they love the Lord and love his spirit. Listen to what Cody is saying. He he's host, hosts the Uproar Conference every year in New York. He said, we actually have had people not bring their kids 
to the conference because they were unsure, quote unquote, of how far the services would go in the spirit. Pure foolishness, pure foolishness, as if the Holy Spirit's going to move and it will hurt your your young people because they came to the conference and the Holy Spirit moved. What a stupid thought. What a stupid thought. If I let my kids go to that church, the Holy Spirit might actually move and I'm just afraid of what will happen. What a dumb thing to say. Dumb. And it's not wrong to call that dumb. Paul called an entire church fools. Oh, you foolish Galatians. You foolish Galatians. That's a foolish train of thought because the Holy Spirit's a comforter. He's a guide. He's a helper. The word there, he's a paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help you. (laughs) That's right, Steve. Steve says it's one of the reasons why many churches are stuck and stagnant. It's exactly right. They've kicked the Holy Spirit out of his own house all night. They, they, They have kicked the Holy Spirit out of his own house, and they're wondering why they're in frustration. I don't know why we have so many empty altars at the church. Oh, pick me. I know because you kick the one who draws men to Jesus out of his own house. I should go to Walmart and buy spray paint and write Ichabod on the door of your church, chain it up and burn it to the ground. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't care one bit because he hasn't been there in 20 years. People are foolish. They're all people want to complain and moan about how our generation's going down the tubes and there's suicides all throughout our generation and people are addicted to opioids and all this sex before marriage and there's 14 year old girls that are pregnant and getting abortions and all these other things and we're all bent out of shape yet we won't let the Holy Spirit move in our own churches and you want to sit around and complain that things are going down the drain when you've got the one who was sent to help you with your family, help you with your mind, help you with your body, help you with your finances, help you with your life, but you've kicked him out of your own church? I told you it was going to be a rant today. I, I, I came on to rant. And it's straight up stupid, straight up stupid. God sends us the Holy Spirit as a helper. Uh, one who empowers us to overcome in life and we eject him from his own church because we're just a little uncomfortable with how ridiculous and people are wondering why is it that this generation's going to hell in a handbasket pick me i know why i know why and don't tell me that this is something that people have been conditioned into receiving after 20 years of being in church, because I've been in church services where five and six year old children who had who don't even have time, let alone the 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 uh, mental fortitude to have been conditioned, come down to the altar while I'm preaching, weeping tears and praying in the Holy Ghost. So don't tell me that it's because we've had uh, um, a group of people that have been conditioned. You know, it's all just culture. You know, the Holy Spirit and people have heard people speaking in tongues for so long that it's just the culture and uh, people have been conditioned in their mind to receive and believe it. And I've seen children. How do you explain children that are not even mentally developed enough to have been in church long enough to be conditioned spiritually, weeping as the gospel's being preached? 
I preached in one service in North Carolina. And when I was, while I'm preaching the service, I'm looking through the crowd. Kids, six years old, seven years old, are shaking in their seat and tears are streaming down their face. They're weeping under the power of God. You can't teach a kid to fake it. Kids will say what you don't want them to say. Kids will embarrass you by bringing up the obvious that nobody wants to bring up that nobody should have said in the first place. And I'm watching children weeping tears and the power of the Holy Ghost and they're shaking under the power of God. And when I gave the altar call, I and this was a regular adult revival service, the altar was filled one night. Every person at the altar was under 16 years old and the majority of them children. Children, not just crying under the power of God, not just giving their hearts to Jesus and understanding the gospel message, but when I laid hands upon them, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Nobody nobody came up and said, I mean, it wasn't one of these stupid, weird, charismatic, goofy people. That, okay, lift your hands. Let me now, now say Bobo. Now say Shata. Now say Lala. Now say Dada. Now say Baba. People trying to teach people to speak in tongues at the altar. I'm not talking about that foolishness. I'm talking about actual baptism of the Holy Ghost, fire of God. People, nobody's teaching them. Nobody's conditioning them. The power of God hit them. As his word was preached. And when they came to the altar, they were baptized in the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them the utterance. Weeping tears. You can't teach a kid to do that. You can't condition somebody into that. You can't coach them through it. It's a gift from God. And it's a heavenly language. No matter what anybody has to say about it, you can't read the Bible any other way and still call yourself intelligent. You can't, you cannot be hermeneutically correct and read the Bible in another way. Paul was plain about what he said. He said what he meant, meant what he said. The Holy Spirit inspired him. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's plain. He takes a good amount of time to go through it and, and break it down and teach these people what they needed to know, to do and to know. And so, uh, it's just, it's, it's very interesting. Mackenzie is asking the question, um, do people develop new syllables, pronunciation, or what she's asking is, do they advance in their heavenly language as you would advance in a natural language? I believe that you do, Mackenzie, but off the top of my head, I could not give you a scripture to back up the thought process of developing a heavenly language. Uh, scripturally I've now I can tell you and this is why I couldn't be dogmatic about it or try to make it doctrinal because I, I can't think of any scripture to back it up but I have I can tell you personally that I have noticed it in my own life I have noticed it in my own life that early on I mean I was filled with the Holy Spirit at five years old and even at 10 and even at 15 years old my tongues were very not not as developed as they are now as I began to press in to my call, what the Lord's asked me to do, begin to study for the ministry, spent more and more time in prayer, I noticed, I noticed my prayer language increasing. I noticed, uh, if you will, the, the spiritual vocabulary 
increasing things that I'd not seen before, but I've noticed it. And this, this is just me, but I'm telling you from my own experience and, and I want to cl- clearly state that for anybody that's watching, what I'm saying now is my own opinion from my own experience, not the word of God. Uh, I've noticed my prayer language increasing dramatically in, you know, supernatural vocabulary, uh, syntax, um, literally noticing it developing like an actual earthly language. I notice it. And, and I, I'll, I'll even stop and think. It's funny that you bring that point up, Mackenzie. Um, I, uh, I even remember not long ago thinking to myself as I'm praying, like, my goodness, you know, it's, it's, it, it actually is formed now as I've done it more and more and more over the years that I've, you know, 33 years I've been filled with the Holy spirit and it's actually come to a place where it actually is, you know, for the last 10 years or so has been like when, as I pray, I think, my God, it's like listening to another language in its syntax and its formation and its delivery. I didn't, uh, base that on anything from scripture, uh, just as I've been faithful to pray and to seek the face of God, I've noticed it develop. And so, uh, I can't necessarily Tyler's saying the same on YouTube. I also at different, uh, at times he's, he's felt and experienced different tongues or different types of tongues come through when praying, uh, when he's praying. And so I know that it's been the case for me. I, w- I could not build a, a Bible um, argument around the development of your heavenly language, although I may be able to as I study it more. But I have, I have at this point, I could not do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Janelle saying that the church she grew up in had an old lady that would hit you in your jaw repeatedly when you went to, went to the front to be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> I mean, there's been all kinds of things. There's been all kinds of uh, excesses, you know. It's just, it's just, it's funny to me. You know, there's, there's people, <laughs> like I said, there's been, I've, I've seen churches and services where they've tried to coach people through speaking in tongues. You can't coach somebody. It's not a language that can be taught. It's a language that's imparted by the Holy Spirit. And so there's a lot of things. And I'm sure many of these people are well-meaning people. They're genuine people. They want to see people filled with the Holy Spirit, but just poorly taught because you cannot teach someone to be filled with the Spirit or to speak with other tongues. And so it's it's very interesting. Uh, you know, it, it's, just, it's just crazy. Yeah, speak. <laughs> speak. You can't, you can't do it. Uh, my uncle Terry Shuttlesworth, is the pastor of Dominion Christian Center in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, I was on staff there for eight years as the associate, and um, he preaches online as well. You can catch him on Facebook. I believe today he's on at noon uh, from the Dominion Christian Center Facebook page. No, no, no. I I want the questions, Mackenzie. I, I appreciate the questions. Um, yeah, Talitha's saying on YouTube, she's experienced the same, different tongues for different atmospheres and interceding for others. The spirit prays, the spirit prays. Mackenzie said, um, uh, what about worshiping in tongues? That is what, no, 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 no. I don't believe that at all. Notice what I read to you from Paul, Mackenzie. No, notice what I read to you from Paul. What did he say in 1 Corinthians 14, 
14 and 15. Uh, He said, if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Catch this. I will sing praise with my spirit or in tongues, and I will sing praise with my mind also. So notice Paul was doing that, Mackenzie. Paul was doing that. He said, I don't just pray in the spirit. I sing in the spirit. I don't just pray in the spirit. I sing in the spirit. No, it's not Jonathan's dad. Jonathan's dad is Tiff Shuttlesworth. He's an evangelist based in Bangor, Maine. Terry Shuttlesworth is the youngest of the four brothers. My grandfather had four sons that all preached. Ted, that's my father. Tim, he pastors in West Virginia. Tiff, he's an evangelist from Maine. And Terry, who is a pastor in Virginia. And then all of their children are preaching and ministering. Jonathan, Jessica, his sister, myself, my sister, Megan, um, my cousin, Matt is pastoring in Toronto, Canada. His sister is working in the church in West Virginia, Michaela, uh, and then Preston, uh, Chelsea Brooke, uh, are all ministering in Virginia. And then Grayson, the youngest, uh, wants to preach as soon as he's old enough to do it. I think he's 10 and he's ready and raring to go. Um, but I want to show you this too, uh, Mackenzie, to answer your question, because go to Ephesians. Ephesians is an interesting place to look at this because the same thing is said here in regards to um, being filled with the Holy Ghost. Listen to this. The Bible says, uh, verse uh, Ephesians 5 and verse 18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So you understand that even in Ephesians, Paul's teaching the church in Ephesus that you can sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. I I would say he's referring to the same thing he said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. I will sing with my spirit. I will sing with with my spirit and I'll sing with my understanding. And so I would say very clearly that, uh, you can sing in the spirit. I've done it many times, sing in the spirit, sing with understanding. It obviously does not take away from the value Mackenzie, because it is the Holy spirit who's giving the utterance as you're worshiping in the Holy spirit. It's an excellent question. And Paul said he did it and encouraged the churches to do the same. Do the same, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and spiritual songs. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it because the Bible endorses it. The Bible endorses it. So do it. If the Spirit's leading you to do it, do it. And and the Lord anoints you to do it. This is something that must be understood. And and listen to me, praying in the Spirit, and maybe, maybe tomorrow when I come back, because I wanted to take today, and of course, we're about out of time, but I wanted to take today to give you the benefits because uh, one of the questions I'm going to answer in these spirit, uh, if you didn't hear me say it yesterday, I'm going to be releasing a series of books called The Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide to. I didn't want to call it, you know, Praying in Tongues for Dummies or The Idiot's Guide to Praying in Tongues, but literally The Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide to series, and I'm going to cover topics that people ask about all the time. The first one is going to be about speaking in tongues. 
the Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide to Speaking in Tongues. I'll do one on tithing. I'll do one on divine healing. I'll do one on prayer. I'll do one on the gifts of the Spirit. I'll do one on faith, uh, any, the rapture, all these questions people have, and give you a, a concise biblical breakdown of these uh, subjects as we're doing on these broadcasts. But um, some of these questions we were answering yesterday, our questions will be answered in the books. But one of the things that... Um, that we have to think about with praying in tongues is understanding that there are benefits. One of the questions we're asking is, yes, we'll, we'll let you guys know when it's out and available. One of the questions we're asking is this, um, is praying in tongues for others to benefit others or is it to benefit the speaker or both? That's a very important question. Is speaking in tongues there to benefit the hearer or does it benefit the, the speaker or both? And so we're going to take time and maybe I'll jump on with you guys tomorrow because I still may feel ranty <laughs> in my heart. I'm going to jump on tomorrow and, and talk to you about this subject of who is speaking in tongues for when it's being done and what effects does it have? What effects does it have? But I want to pray for you because there might be people watching. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not filled with the spirit of God and it's Christ's desire that you be filled with the Holy ghost. It's Christ's desire that you speak in tongues without question. It's his desire. And so I want to, I want to pray with you because I want to ask God to fill you with the Holy spirit. For those of you that have already been filled, you know what I'm going to do? And this is scriptural. I want to ask God to refill you with his spirit. I mean, compare Acts chapter two with Acts chapter four, the same people are filled with the spirit twice. The believers in the upper room, then after persecution, they gather in a house again in Acts four. And the Bible says in verse 31 that they're all filled with the Holy Ghost. Same people that were filled two chapters before are filled again. You can be not only filled, you can be refilled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for everybody that's watching me. And ask God that he would fill you with his spirit. Father, for every man, for every woman that's joining me on the broadcast today, I want you to touch them. Touch them today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Baptize them in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. In the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, use them mightily in these final hours of time before Jesus returns to rapture his church. Lord, use us mightily. In these final moments of time, we thank you and we thank you for filling your people with the Holy Ghost in Jesus mighty name. Amen. Amen. Listen, this is a message that we need to take around the world. This is something that people need to hear. If you didn't get a chance to share it, share it. People need to hear about the Holy Ghost. It's not being taught on enough, in my opinion. And so it's important. Candace, I'll make it known. I'll let everybody know. Uh, when these books start to become available as soon as further faster is completed and out, which I'm believing is this month, I'm immediately getting uh, started. And I've already written the first chapter uh, of the spirit filled believers guide. So I will let you know as soon as they're available, I'm not going to give you any release date uh, at all. And everybody that's on my team watching on the broadcast is letting out a sigh of relief, no release date. I'm not going to let you know anything until it's available. Uh, and so that you can get it as soon as it is. Let me encourage you right now to take a minute and sow a seed by faith. Nothing could be more important than you having the ability 
by the covenant that God made with Abraham to be a blessing to your generation. Even ministering to sinners takes the resources resources and funds to do so. To be a blessing to the poor as Christ commanded us to do. To be able to tithe, to be able to be generous and give. These things require overflow. They require excess. And so I want to encourage you today to take a step of faith and to sow a seed financially that will break you into the overflow you're believing for. Many people are struggling financially. They need a miracle financially. A seed will always break you out of your need. A seed, in fact, if you're watching me right now, I want you to put that in the comments. A seed will always break you out of your need. God actually gives you the power of seed time and harvest so that you can be broken out of need and into blessing. And so God's speaking to you right now. The Holy Spirit speaking to your heart as to what he's asking you to, to give and to sow. And I want you to take a step of faith today. You can go to miracleword.com and sow a seed right there on the website. And uh, you can also partner with us right on the website. If you'll click the partner button, uh, Carol and I have prayed and we're asking God for an army to begin, an army of 1,000 people who will stand with us at a minimum of $85 a month or more. And many of you have done so. We thank you. We pray for you on a weekly basis. But we're asking God to fulfill what we've asked him in that prayer request, a thousand member army. We're calling them the miracle word, mighty men and women that will stand with us at $85 a month at a minimum or more, believing for increase, believing for God to shake this generation before it's too late for Jesus to come back. And listen, for every person that's sowing this month, thank you, Regina, we appreciate you so much. For every person that's sowing $85 or more in the month of March, we're going to be sending you this powerful book, The Price of God's Miracle Working Power by Brother A.A. A. Allen, one of the most powerful books I've ever read. It changed his whole life and ministry. It changed many other people's lives and ministries. It will change yours as well. And uh, God appeared to him. Jesus came into his prayer closet while he was fasting and praying and began to speak to him and give him a list of things that needed to change in his life before his ministry could become a miracle ministry. He made the changes and the rest is history. You could watch his, you can still watch his services on YouTube from the voice of healing and watch those mighty miracles as they're taking place. People being healed of everything you can imagine. Power of God used him mightily and God will use you as well. And so uh, we're going to be sending you this. For those of you that have sown your seed in the month of March, uh, you want to go to miracleword.com forward slash offer to claim uh, your book for the month of March so that we have your address and that we can send it to you as well. And uh, that will help us for everybody that's sewing a thousand dollars or more. We're going to send you that beautiful, genuine leather life application study Bible in the new living translation. One of my newest favorite tools to study the word of God. It's so full of background, history, timelines, profiles, maps, uh, all kinds of resources to help you uh, have a deeper study of the word of God. You know, maybe I'll take some time in the near future, maybe when I get home, <clears throat> to kind of lead you through a Bible study. You know, because I, I don't think that a ton of people truly understand 
how to effectively anyway, study scripture. Um, and it is important to know how to study scripture. So maybe when I get back, um, back into the studio, we'll take some time on the broadcast to teach how to do types of Bible study, like for example, topical Bible study, or maybe a word search, or, um, we can actually learn how to look through a passage and, and understand its historical context. Maybe it's prophetic context, what it means to us today, application. It's very important to know how to study the word of God properly. Paul told Timothy to, uh, rightly divide study to show yourself approved that you can rightly divide the word of God, not be ashamed when you stand before the Lord. So I think that that would be helpful. And so maybe we'll do that, but I'll I'll use that as a tool. Those of you that are partnering with us can see how we use the Bible, uh, that life application study Bible. It's phenomenal. And we can look at the background, the histories, the teaching, the profiles, the maps. It all helps you to study and get a clearer picture uh, of how to study scripture. And so I think that might be something that would be very helpful and practical for those of you that watch the broadcast. So let's do that. Let's do that together. Um, yeah, I think that would be great. I think, and if you have any suggestions or if there's things that people want to hear about, let me know. You can always text me. Uh, if you don't, if you're not a part of our, of our, um, text family yet, you can go to miracleword.com forward slash text and you can fill out the form and literally I'll get your messages directly on my phone and I can respond to you. But if you have things you'd like to hear about, uh, hear teaching on, send it in a text message. I'd love to hear from you and you're never bothering me. I want to hear your prayer requests. I want to pray for you personally and by name. So stay in contact with me and uh, I would very much appreciate it too. Don't forget our magazine is getting ready to ship This is the winter magazine. I didn't have time. I should have popped up the new one. But if you go to our website, you can see the the cover of the new magazine, miracleword.com forward slash live. And uh, you can, if you've not done it, if you have, please don't do it again. Please don't do it again. But if you have not signed up to receive our magazine, do so today. The new one's coming out and we're going to ship it in about a week. And uh, if you want to be on the list, this new one is awesome. This new edition, I'm loving it. And there's faith-building articles, things to encourage you, let you know what we're up to, and uh, you can stay in the loop. Sign up, and when you do, I'm going to email you a 40-day ebook devotional that I wrote, Praise, Laugh, Repeat. Uh, it'll come to you absolutely free via email uh, as our gift to you to say that we love you so much. And I appreciate you hanging out with me during my rant today, but I'm going to be back tomorrow, and I'm sure I'm going to rant again because this is a very important topic, but misunderstood by many, by many, and I don't want you to misunderstand what God's saying, so it's very important. I love you guys so much. Listen, tonight is the final scheduled night of revival here at Lakeside Assembly of God. Uh, We're live at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I highly encourage you, if you can't be here in person, to be online with us tonight. It's going to be a powerful service and uh, I'm believing God for miracles, signs and wonders. If you need one, if you're believing for one, join in with us tonight and receive your miracle even via live stream. Even via live stream. I'm telling you, the power of God knows no limitations or boundaries. So, I love you guys so very much. Thanks for hanging with me today. I always love to hear from you. Thank you for all the questions. I appreciate the questions. 
and uh, gives me an opportunity to explain some things to those that are watching and listening. Those of you listening to the podcast, I love you. If you'd like to give, you can scroll up and look at the description. There are links you can click on the podcast to sow your seed today. We love you guys so much. Thank you for sowing, and uh, we appreciate and love you. We're praying for you, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Love you. Have a great day. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.